This programme was produced at and first aired on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, with support from New Zealand On Air. Kapai Irarangi Tomotu, NPR. If you're enjoying this podcast in Manawatu, you could make your very own, just like this one. NPR exists to help people like you tell your story or share your passion on air and online. Check out npr.nz for more information. Hello there, how you doing? It's uh, Kevin Riley here, and welcome to the Irish Time here on the People's Radio in Manabtu Radio, the Manabtu People's Radio here in Palmerston North. On a beautiful morning, by the way, an absolutely gorgeous morning. Sun is shining, it's still a bit cool, but it's just the sheer, the sun is out, there's a blue sky. Just gives you a different view of life altogether when it's, you know, compared to when it's wet and dull and grey. It just changes your whole attitude to life, to your day. Anyway, what have we got here? Uh, this is bits and pieces from all over the place, actually, these different papers. Anyway, 70%, 70% of young people in Ireland aged 18 to 24 are considering moving abroad because they think they would enjoy a better quality of life el- uh, elsewhere, according to a new survey. Isn't that normal? The research was carried out by Red Sea on behalf of the National Youth Council of Ireland and was published there on Monday. Uh they're, they're represent, the representative body for, they're the representative body for voluntary youth organisations in Ireland. And they have expressed concern at the findings of the survey, which showed the severe impact of the cost of living crisis is having on young people in Ireland and is calling for action from the government to prevent young people from moving abroad. Well, the living, cost of living is everywhere. It's a global issue. Commenting on the findings of the research, Paul Gordon, Director of Policy and Advocacy, National Youth Council of Ireland, said, There is a real fear from young people about what the future holds for them. Many say they're struggling to make ends meet and the and quality of life considerations are driving them to consider a future outside of Ireland. The government must act. The cost of living is... Uh, Affecting all of society, but it is impacting young people in a, in a different way. They are more likely to report mental health difficulties and challenges with accommodation and to spend a greater portion of their income on education and public transport expenses. Well, that's interesting. As part of its uh, pre-budget submission, the council is calling on the government to reduce registration fees for those in college, higher education or in uh, on the people who are doing apprenticeships. Raise the national minimum wage for under-20s to the same level as uh, over-20s. Bring the rate of job seekers' allowance for under-25s in line with that, with those, pardon me, over-25. Extend the young adult travel card to more young people. So I think that they already do have, you know, transport costs have been reduced from what I've heard. There's a strong support across all age groups for our principles, with 85% in favour of reducing registration fees, almost 8 in 10 support of raising the minimum wage for under-20s and extend the, the, the young adult travel card to, uh, to more young people. That's a good move. You know, all this kind of car emissions, etc., etc. It's good get it, get it into the public transport system because I think that's going to be the, suit, the future, whether we like it or not. We want government to hear the message, uh, to hear the message, uh, the people and the wider public are sending in this research. So good luck to them. It'll be interesting to see how that actually pans out. And what about get here? Because every, most of the papers, as you can imagine, are completely devoted in coverage to Her Majesty the Queen. Uh, you know, and all the 
the royal family and all the people over in uh, in the UK, particularly in England at this present time, but also the whole of the UK, Scotland, Northern Ireland and Wales. Uh, what about here? Arlene Foster criticises too intense coverage of King Charles meeting Sinn Féin during their visit. Former uh, DUP leader Arlene Foster has accused the media of focusing far too much attention on uh, Charles' meeting with uh, Sinn Féin members during his visit to the North last week. He was in Belfast for a few hours, I think, as opposed to the day. Ms Foster said coverage showing Sinn Féin Vice President Michelle O'Neill and Stormont Assembly Leader Alex Maxey speaking warmly with the new British monarch was intense and said the relationship with, uh, between the members of the Republic and the royal family was not really good news. The connection between royal fa- the Republican Party and the royalty. The former Stormont First Minister uh, wrote an ex- express newspaper following scenes showing Miss O'Neill and Mr Maskey uh, at Hillsborough Castle. Chatting amiably with the King after offering uh, commiserations on the death over the death of Queen Elizabeth. Uh, the footage also shows the King Charles discussing how Sinn Féin was now the largest party following the Stormont elections. Uh, Ms Foster wrote, the coverage got so intense about Sinn Féin on their mainstream broadcast that you would be forgiven for thinking that the visit was for them and not making uh, note of the death of our sovereign and, the, the, and the, her new successor. Among those criticised Ms Foster's comments are Matthew O'Toole, the monarchy is a symbolic institution. If you support it, you can't complain when others engage with that symbolic power in ways you don't find comfortable, you're not comfortable with. So it is a bit of a, a moan and a bitch, really. It's considering the time, you can't keep the politics out of it. I mean, that's why the King Charles has got a lot on his plate. No, somebody's got a lot of plate. He, he will have influence. There's no two ways about that. He might not have the, you know, the political power, but he will sort of have uh, influence. Anyway, Sinn Féin Assembly member Les Maskey again has praised the late Queen Elizabeth for her positive leadership in building reconciliation between Ireland and Britain during the visit uh, through the North there by King, uh, King Charles III. Mr Maskey spoke during the reception for the new British monarch and Queen Consort Camilla at Hillsborough Castle, ahead of the royal visit to Belfast for a remembrance service at St Anne's Cathedral. In striking scenes in the royal residence, uh, the royal residence throne room, the king and queen consort stood uh, together uh, behind, under a royal coat of arms at the West Belfast Republican. As the best West, West, West Belfast Republican uh, MP spoke highly of Prince Charles's mother, whom he had been a distant observer in efforts to build peace in Ireland. He later said that uh, she demonstrated how individuals' acts of positive leadership can help break down barriers and encourage reconciliation. That's very true. I think she was a big supporter of you know, reconciliation in the North. Uh, he also said she showed that a small and insignificant uh, gesture, a, a visit, a handshake, crossing the street, or speaking a few words of, of Irish can make a huge difference in changing attitudes and building relationships. The Queen's recognition of both British and Irish traditions, as well as other as wider diversity of as well as the wider diversity of the community, was exceptionally significant. In all of this, she personally underlined that one tradition is not diminished by reaching out to show respect for another. Sinn Féin President Michelle O'Neill also spoke with the King during the visit. Uh, and you know, his, and talked about his mother's life and legacy will be fondly remembered by those of a British identity here, who with great pride and devotion hold, held dearly. And as I think it was, you know, most people there, because you know, the Queen was kind of, she was never, new, I suppose she was neutral. She's the head of the monarchy, but you know, 
like I said, her influence would have been just spoken. She would have talked to prime ministers and people like that. But I don't. I think she was really well liked by a lot of people, both on both sides of the divide. Or you know, Catholic and Protestant. She was an exemplary woman, totally exemplary. She led a you know a great life. You know, free of hassles and controversies. And I always admired her for that. You know, the fact that you know what she would take to the grave after all the secrets, the prime ministers and people that you know, well well known public figures that she's met and talked with, but none of them, you know. Uh, it's all private and confidential, and I think that's brilliant, absolutely brilliant. She never felt the urge to actually, you know, open up about anything, even though she might have felt, uh, you know, totally opposed to what she was hearing from the prime ministers or whatever. Anyway, it's neither here nor there. She led by example in advancing peace and reconciliation and the building of relationships with those of us who are Irish and who share different political allegiance aspirations to herself and her government. It was confirmed uh, yesterday that Miss O'Neill will be attending the Queen's funeral oh, in London's Westminster Abbey on Monday. Uh, DEP uh, Jeffrey has told reporters that the inclusion of Sinn Féin at yesterday Finch uh, Hillsborough event was an indication of how far we have travelled in Northern Ireland, a sign of political maturity. God, I wonder if you listen to yourself, Mr Donaldson. Meanwhile, Mr Donaldson discussed the Northern Ireland Protocol with the King during the, Hulls- the Hillsborough visit. The DUP leader, whose party is refusing to form a new uh, executive until issues around the protocol are resolved, told the King there are positive signs coming from the EU and he hopes matters would progress. I think there are things will change there. Now there's a, you know, a complete change of uh, royalty. King Charles told the gathering that he wished to offer his mo- the most heartfelt thanks for all your uh, condolences. It is fitting that we should meet at Hillsborough, where my mother, which my mother knew so well, and those beautiful rose gardens she always uh, took great pleasure in looking at. In the years since she became her, uh, began her long life of public service, my mother saw Northern Ireland pass through momentous and historic changes. Through all those years, she never ceased to pray for the best of times for the place and for its people, whose stories she knew, whose sorrows our family felt, and for whom she had a great affection and regard. Upon their arrival in Belfast, the King and uh, the Queen Consort met with well-wishers outside Anne's Cathedral, uh, uh, which was attended by the Prime Minister Liz Truss, uh, the Taoiseach, Mr Martin, and the, the President, Michael D. Higgins, were among the, uh, the at the congregation. Sinn Féin's best Belfast uh, Lord Mayor, Tina Black, welcomed the couple as they entered the cathedral. The service entered, uh, included a Celtic blessing uh, given by various church leaders and it concluded with King and King Quonset spoke with President and his wife Sabrina. Archbishop Ian Martin described the Queen as a much-loved and deeply respected, adding he, uh, he admired her for her quiet dignity and calm nature. That kind of sums her up, really, isn't it? She was just magnificent that way. It's amazing. There's a lot of politicians, you know, people get a bit, of, you know, on the TV, as it were, and they just can't shut up. What stands out for me is her dedication to faith, to family, and peace and reconciliation. I remember meeting Queen Elizabeth in Inniskillen before I was ordained as a bishop when she took the courage, the courageous and heroic step in visiting St. Michael's Catholic Church. Now, she came across as friend and good humoured and took time to put everyone at their ease. That is why ordinary people of all backgrounds and faith can relate to her and uh, hold her in such affection. Following the service, the royal family departed for Belfast City Airport for the return to London ahead of the arrival of the late Queen's coffin in the city. The f- you know, later that day, so it was. It was just amazing. 
and the funeral itself on Monday evening our time is going to be something to you know to see. Anyway, I've got this guy again, this Michael Healy Ray slams agriculture minister's crazy suggestion to ban plowing. I don't know who this guy is. I think he's an independent, you know, but he's kind of kind of one of these freedom type people. I think he's just kind of he's a loner, and he's just uh, basically just causes. Brings up issues, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But you know, there's no substance to them. He just wants it to get, like I said, to be in the paper on the headlines, so people know who he is. Kilgavin uh, TD Michael Healy Ray has strongly criticised proposals that could see plowing banned. Yes, plowing. This week, Agriculture Minister Charlie McCulloch has confirmed that uh, ministers are being cons- uh, measured, proposals rather, are being considered in the face of climate change that could see the introduction of a plowing ban and the required use of minimum or no-till cultivation techniques on carbon-rich soils. It is not known yet how the land, how this would affect the land. Uh, Mr Healy said uh, it's hard for him to leave any, to have any confidence in a minister that would consider banning plowing. Anyone that knows anything about farming knows that it is necessary at certain times to keep the, the ground f- uh, fertile. I contend that it is good for the environment to plow and means that we can have a good uh, good ground all year round. You have to renew the ground by plowing it to give it the most of its get the most out of its grazing or silage. He said the farmers that have been plowing for years, uh, first with horses and now with tractors, um, are uh, you know unhappy. He said he was urging the minister not to even consider the proposal. It's absolutely disgraceful that an Irish minister considers such a proposal. So it's going to be. I'm going to follow that actually because I'm interested in see what the outcome is. And we we're talking about minimum wage earlier. This is it. The government. This is in the Republic of Ireland. Uh, the government is set to increase uh, the minimum wage by eighty cents to eleven eleven dollars thirty. Uh, euro per hour. The cabinet will sign off the increase at a meeting tomorrow, and the change will come in is uh, from January the first next year. The Low Pay Commission made the recommendation of the minimum wage uh, being set at eleven thirty per hour in a, res- a reported submission to the government earlier this year. The new rate will not be welcomed by thousands of workers in receipt of the current minimum wage of ten do- uh, ten euros fifty. However, business struggling with energy costs will be considered. Uh, will be concerned about the impact this will have on their uh, working. About 10% of the workforce in Ireland received the minimum wage. Well, 10%. The minimum wage has increased steadily over every year over the past decade, and the, the announcement is generally made in advance of the budget. The government is also moving towards introduction of a living wage, replacing the minimum wage with the aim of $13.70 per hour by 20, uh, 2026. You know, I think that's going to happen. The living wage is going to arrive, you know, in most Western countries. It's already in some countries, but I think it's going to be, it just has to stay, or else we're in for kind of, you know, an exceptionally hard time. A report on the living uh, wage aimed to increase the minimum wage paid uh, at $11.30. That's, that's what you know, the, the report said. The cost of living crisis has put further pressure on the government to increase the minimum wage, et cetera, et cetera, at this uh, present point in time because the cost of energy in the, the UK in general and Ireland as well is tremendous. You know, the increases are phenomenal is the only way I can say it. It's going to be interesting how they get through the winter. I think when the, all this... Uh, 
The Queen's uh, burial is over in Dunworth and life returned to some sort of normality. And they're not the crowds around. We'll see. Uh, you know, we'll see how the new government of Liz Trust gets on because they're talking about cutting taxes, which is the road to nowhere, and also uh, doing something about the energy crisis itself, which is going to rule out kind of uh, any kind of taxing any of the, the oil companies, you know, windfall taxes, etc. She doesn't want to do that. This will be interesting to follow. A lot of other countries have brought that, and even the United Nations has urged. Uh, these companies, you know, got governments around to sort of to bring in such a tax just to get this kind of energy crisis under some sort of control. Anyway, the Gardaí, that's the police, to be trained in ancient uh, non-lethal combat techniques, uh, techniques, first used by Japanese police. Gardaí are to receive training in an ancient non-lethal combat technique first used by the Japanese federal police in medieval times. Wow. Guardian buses have asked uh, martial arts experts to train the instructors in the Japanese police fighting system. While Guardian are trained uh, in police and self-defense tactics with hand, handholds, grappling and uh, takedown techniques developed, uh, developed from judo, the force is seeking instructions, instructors to uh, change the system to taekwondo, I think it is, uh, <coughs> which was uh, designed for so-called hands-on techniques in conjunction with the use of Japanese uh, Kibo, it's a short police baton. The journal reports that a post on the e-tenders page uh, got at the, you know, the police headquarters in Dublin has invited experts to apply to train Gardaí in the new police self-defence system. Gardaí invites pl- uh, leaders to bring uh, to the provision of instructor level and training and training in Taekwondo or equivalent police self-defence training. So it sounds like it's all happening over there. I, I thought they were all, obviously the training that they get is just probably like the police here. It's basic, you know, how to con- get control of people who are getting a bit, you know, drunk and uh, fighting, et cetera, et cetera. Within the system is a subset of skills around the use of batons, which will uh, be critical for Gardu, who are armed re- relatively with a metal ISP extendable button, which they carry on their belts. Didn't know that. The training used mostly in uh, judo techniques and includes handholds such as the gooseneck and the hammerlock. The training also includes handcuffing techniques and use of the baton. It is thought a new program would join uh, the new module. The Guardia course is part of a training program for recruits with other specific techniques uh, for people who join the police unit. According to the journal, sources have said there is a need to take greater account of the changing face of street violence, but also a more formalised and more detailed technique for disarming violent suspects. Which is true, because, you know, I read stuff, I rarely bring it out when I'm talking about (coughs) over the radio, but it's, uh, you know, killing, I think it's gangland stuff, particularly in Dublin, where there seems to be a lot of uh, murders there is also a desire by Guardi management sources added to reduce the problem of assaults on Guardi during their doing their duties. In his most recent report, the Guardi commissioner said that 1,149 uses of force by Guardi were were recorded in July, bringing the total to almost 6,000, you know, just under 7,000 for the year so far. Amazing. The most recent uh, policing study showed a rise in the use of force involving Guardi with batons uh, and. Uh, Pepper sprays recorded at 118 times. In June, that was 104 times. Pepper spray was used by Gardaí, uh, 
on 22 occasions uh, in the last month. The non-lethal firearm is only used by armed support units or the emergency response unit and are not routinely uh, carried out by uniformed guardian. All guardian must follow a certain criteria and protocol for the use of force before they actually arrest someone. So that's interesting. I thought, you know, I always thought the police were kind of, they were trained in some sort of uh, judo, but obviously that was wrong. Now we've got back to Aer Lingus here, okay? Aer Lingus, the Irish airline, has apologised to customers after it had to cancel uh, 51 flights, I think it is, yeah, uh, from Dublin Airport involving UK or European destinations. Footage on social media showed thousands and thousands of people queuing outside Terminal 2 on Saturday morning at the airport after a digital uh, systems failure. The airline said the system had been restored and flights on Sunday were scheduled to operate as normal. The airline said the customers affected by this restaurant will be able to change their travel plans free of charge. But the, the sheer inconvenience of it all is never taken into account. Uh, company statement, Aer Lingus sincerely apologised to customers in, for the severe disruption caused today by the unavailability of a key systems for check-in, boarding and our website. <clears throat> so, can't blame the airline, really. It was just technology let down. The system outrage was uh, <clears throat> caused by a break in connectivity and services uh, from a UK network provider. Uh, the break in connectivity has not been restored, and we are taking steps to make sure you know it doesn't happen again. Aer Lingus had to cancel 51 flights, uh, mainly to, from Dublin uh, to European and UK destinations, like I said earlier. The airline is operating all of its transatlantic services from Dublin, albeit with delays and reduced passenger numbers in some instances due to security restrictions applying as a, a result of the systems change. It said transatlantic services from Shannon operated as normal and Aer Lingus Regional operated by uh, Emerald Airways service would be would operate in some del- would, would pick up some of the delays. The servant said any customer impacted by this disruption will be able to apply for a refund or a change and change their or change their uh, travel schedule free of charge through Erlingus etc dot com. So it is gonna you know they're in big trouble. Just like uh, you know all the flights at Heathrow on the day of this, uh, the Queen's funeral, uh, there's no flying in Heathrow. All flights have been cancelled, which is interesting. Very interesting. So what have we got? Yeah, we've got something else here. I find this event this morning. John Aldridge just says, I think that's from The Guardian. Uh, proud Liverpoolian John Aldridge admits there are plenty of anti-royalists in the city, but he doesn't believe that they will dis- uh, disrespect tributes to Queen Elizabeth II. The postponement of a Premier League fixture as a mark of respect to the Queen following her passing ensured that the tributes to, Queen's long- to Britain's longest-serving monarch have been put on hold for football fans. Yet all eyes will be on Anfield on Wednesday night of Liverpool's game against Ajax. I think they, I think it was, they won 2 1, I believe. Uh, goes ahead with the home fans under the spotlight. Liverpool supporters have persistently booed and jeered Britain's God Save the Queen national anthem during recent matches at Wembley. But former Liverpool and Ireland striker Aldridge insisted this is, it is not a break or, or an attack on the monarchy. Liverpool people will always show respect for the Queen. Uh, we all know there are a lot of people in our city are Andrew royalists, but I don't think Liverpool as a whole would be disrespectful following the passing of a 96-year-old lady. What you need to understand is our city is different to nearly everywhere else in the UK. Most of Liverpool 
Uh, most of us in Liverpool see ourselves as uh, half Irish, and I've said many times, never had it been a vote to become a part of Ireland, we'd get a resounding yes in Liverpool. I remember in my early days supporting the team and going to Wembley. Uh, then, we ha- but then we had our own version of not you'll never walk alone. We used to sing "God Save the Queen," and uh, we played it, and that was just for the fans, and you know, and for the the game itself. There is a reason why Liverpool feel uh, this way, and it's very simple to explain. The central government in London and the monarch have never done much for our city. They have never reached uh, out to us and made us feel like they care about us. You go back to Winston Churchill or around Maggie Thatcher, and they have uh, they have had never had any time for Liverpool or its people. Then you look at what happened at the Hillsborough tragedy in 1989. The government police were happy to throw all the blame on innocent Liverpool fans who died that day, and it uh, showed what they thought of us. But we uh, we showed up. We showed in that situation that we are not going to be dumped on from the air. We stick to what we believe in, and we'll always have been a, been a group of very proud people. Take us on a on a fight, flight on a fight rather when we we have a a good fight with the, the government. The uh, Aldridge also said he went on to suggest uh, the show of uh, support towards Cristiano Ronaldo from Liverpool fans following the death of the Manchester United's newborn baby was evidence of loyalties being put to one side to show respect. We get into trouble for uh, putting up a big fight, but the, the history of Liverpool shows we are respectful when we need to be. Look at how Liverpool fans showed respect to Ronaldo with his applause uh, when he you knew the death of his child. Liverpool fans hate Manchester United, but far more than they dislike their royal family. Well, they hate Manchester United far more than they dislike their royal family. Or the Queen, but they would put that to one side and give show respect. Now what I think would have happened if Wolves went ahead as planned last weekend, uh, I don't think we would have uh, heard, you know, God save the Queen at all. So it's interesting Liverpool, you know, which is quite a large capital in the, the north of England. And what else have we got here? Let's have a look. Oh, right, we've got this. This is uh, about Gaelic football. I rarely talk about any, any about soccer at all, or any sports, I should say. Anyone interested in Ireland, you just ask them about Liam or Sam, and the chances are they will know you're referring to the trophies uh, presented to the All-Ireland Senior Hurling and Football Champions. But what about the 2,000 other pieces of Gaelic football silverware around the country? How many of us know the stories of those cups, how they came into existence, or how they received their names? TGA, it's a radio, a television program rather, in the Republic, have attempted to address that lack of knowledge with their new series of uh, Tales of the Cups. That's it, Tales of the Cups. Over six episodes, the presenters will travel across Ireland visiting clubs and county grounds, learning of the lesser known stories behind the Irish nation's trophies. She finds out how some cups were named after Irish revolutionary patriots such as Roger Casement and Terence McSweeney. And other companies were named after clergy. The series, which begins this week in uh, Dublin, starts with uh, a visit to Dublin. Dublin, first presented in 1886, she learns about the, the oldest known GAA trophy, the Silver Mines Cup. She goes to Farns, I think that's how you say it, uh, Gaelic Football Club to see a much-loved piece of silverware named after a well-known publican, Tommy Moore, who influenced the development of hurling 
and hears about the Senior Football Cup donated by Cleary's Department Store. She finds out more about uh, the Kathleen Mills Cup, coming on one of the most decorated uh, cups in uh, the Republic. So it's going to be um, really exceptionally interesting. To, to see, I'd like to see that programme, because Gaelic football, as you are no doubt aware, that's where uh, Aussie rules came from. They were based on the Gaelic football teams. And on that note, I will love you and leave you, and I'll see you next week. And enjoy the weather, okay? Just make the most of it while we've got it. And be kind to everyone, okay? Thank you very much, and take care. See ya. If you enjoy this NPR podcast, please consider subscribing. Our podcasts are available on all major podcasting platforms. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Spotify, as well as the accessmedia.nz app. Support this show and others like it by giving a donation. For more information, go to www.mpr.nz forward slash donate.